Joining us on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline, the head coach, NC State, Kevin Keats. Coach, uh, before we start, thanks for thanks for coming on. But I need a favor from you, is if this is too much to ask. During press conferences that Joe Giglio attends, can you not, like not out of nowhere unprompted, give him credit? Because the ego on this guy following the Duke game was off the charts because you just kind of out of nowhere gave him credit for talking about quad one wins and ACC play and things like that. I was like, and I was in there, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Joe's going to be super hype about this. You know, do me any I, favors. I, I'm done fighting with him. Um, you know, besides um, Joe Lenardi, he may be the quad one expert. Uh, he's definitely the quad one expert in this area. I can okay. tell you that now. And so, you know, give the man his props. Um, he's been on this quad one stuff for quite a, a long time. And I, I kind of realized it. And so what I have to do is I have to give him his props before he calls me and said, hey, guess what? That's <laughs> what it is, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of quad one wins, you, you got two in a row. You've had the week off. How do you feel about heading into this game against Miami, Kevin? Because this feels like old school ACC. You saw them once, good fight with them, played them hard. They're a good team, but now this is one of those, hey, let's run it back. I'll come see you at my place. Yeah, you know what's tough? Um, when you're playing good basketball, and every every coach, obviously, when you look at the schedule the, at the beginning of the year, you're like, man, there's a break in there. I need one. Um but when you're playing good basketball and for us playing well at home against Duke and then going on the road, um, you know, playing against a, a tough place in Castle to play against Virginia Tech, you actually want to play on Wednesday. Like I wanted to play today, mm -hmm. um, but I don't have that opportunity. Um, you know, we've kind of split the week up, you know, took a couple of days off. Today is an off day for us. Um, you know, we got in there. Um, some guys um, who played a lot of minutes were off um, Sunday and Monday. And we worked out on our bench trying to develop some of those guys on Monday. And then yesterday we got it in. We really worked on with everyone and took the day off. And then tomorrow and um, Friday we'll really concentrate on Miami. But it's a good team. Um, you know, Jim Larinaga has done a great job. Um, you know, the backcourt's really, really good. But, you know, uh, Miller really hurt us. Uh, I thought we came out playing great in the first half and then kind of hit a wall. And at home they took over. And so it's a good team and it's another – Another really great quad one opportunity, maybe quad two. I know you'll tell everybody later on what it's going to be. You know, yeah. By the end of the year, I'm sure it'll wind up being a quality win for you if you can pay them back. That that that's the important part. You have to pay them back. You have to play with the same urgency that you did against Duke and Virginia Tech. I think that's been the most encouraging part for at least for me. What do you think of the way that you guys, particularly, started that Virginia Tech game? Just just hungry, angry, desperate. Yeah, you know, Joe, we were down. It's, it's tough because we were down Dusan, and obviously you knew that. Um, that happened at Reynolds, and, you know, we were concerned about that. And then obviously right, you know, at the Clemson game at the end of it, you know, Jack Clark goes down, and he's been a big part of our offense. They were our two leading rebounders, and um, both of them were scoring a lot of points, at least around nine to ten points a game. And I have to give a lot of credit to E.B. Dewana and Greg Gant for really stepping up and filling a role and doing it in a complete different way. Um, you know, they, those two guys were a little bit more score. Jack is more of a pick and pop. You know, when you look at Greg and EB, what they brought to our team is a lot of excitement, energy, and playing hard. Um, and, you know, they don't require shots. Um, they are guys who do a great job of screening and playing great defense. And, 
you know, it, it's really worked out for us. And typically that doesn't happen. Replacing guys who are a little bit more offensive minded for defensive guys, it doesn't work that way. But our team have really embraced that, and I'm, I'm proud of them for doing that. Kevin Keats joining us, NC State head basketball coach on the OG alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias. I am curious, uh, as, as Joe talked about payback and, and league play and everything else, if you look at the standings, it is not your typical ACC, but I also have to untrain myself, having been around here for 20-plus years, that what is the ACC now? You know, and you, you bring in new guys to help yourself out. You're not alone, and that's going to affect the way that we have these perceived notions of, of the league. And look, I'll, I'll speak for fans here. They see the early portion with losses to Pitt, you know, a loss to Miami, a loss to a uh, loss to Clemson. But, and you're like, what? But then you look at the top of the standings and these are the teams that are there. I think at one point your losses were to teams that were like 11 and one in uh, in league play. So from from the coaching perspective, how do you get that across to your team that, hey, look, this is this is a whole new ball game with these teams. You can't think about these squads the same way you might have in years past. Or do they even consider that anymore? You know, what we talk about is that you have 31 games. Forget the name. Forget mm -hmm. that it's Duke. Forget that it's Virginia Tech. Everybody has a quad associated with them. So you almost say, hey, this is a quad one opportunity. This team will be quad two. On the road, this quad is this team is quad three. Because when you look at it, you know, and I, and I was guilty of this. Um, when the net changed, I was one of those ones who were saying, if you finish 10 and 10, in the ACC, it should be an automatic. You should be in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been proven wrong over several years, and here's why. Uh, you look at Wake Forest last year in their run, uh, 13, I won't say 13 and 7. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think someone was 15 and 5 and almost didn't make it. it it's not so much now, which is weird to say, um, ACC versus ACC. You look at all 31 games. The committee is now – taking a hard look at every game you play. And so the games in November and December count just as much as your conference games. And if you don't beat the right teams, you're not getting in because your numbers just don't look good. They don't match. If you don't have quad one and quad two opportunities, or you have a lot of quad three and quad four losses, it really makes it tough on you. So I don't think that the ACC is down. I think around college basketball, there's not a lot of name recognition because people are shuffling from school to school. Mm -hmm. and so when you look at it, you know, you think about, you know, people say, Hey, fans, it's Duke and they're coming in. Um, they've, they've changed a little bit also. And then you look at the recruiting classes. Um, you know, they, they, this recruiting class that came in is not the same recruiting classes. Maybe a Zion Williamson was in. And so that changes each team every year, depending on how good the high school kids are now, you know, not all five stars are created equal. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Kevin Keats, NC State men's basketball coach, joining us here on the OGR. All right, let's do some, uh, let's do some uh, dot some I's, cross some T's here. You mentioned Dusan Mahorsic had the knee injury. I, I saw him with a brace. Now I've seen him without a brace. Knock on whatever wood you want or cross whatever fingers you'd like. But how close or when will we see Dusan again? Well, you know, Joe, if it was up to him, he would have never put a brace on. Okay. Uh, you, know, he did, you know, he is um, the ultimate warrior. He has spent um, probably eight to nine hours a day in the training room when he's not in – obviously the class has just started back, so that would change. Um, you know, it's funny, when he went down, he targeted the, the Miami game to be back. Like, this is what he said. Now, of course, he's not a doctor or a trainer, 
Uh, but I, I think he's progressing. He, he won't be ready for the Miami game. Um, okay. I don't know when he will play. I'm hoping in the next two or three weeks. But that's just pure, pure speculation on on my part. And here's why. You know, he had the same similar injury last year. It t- it, was, it took less time. But the more you injure the same part, it takes a little bit longer to come back. All right, let's go through the list then. Jack Clark sounds like a groin injury from the end of the Clemson game. You haven't had him for two games. What's what's his diagnosis? Yeah, I, I, I would say Jack is tough because we're going back trying to figure out if it's more groin or could it be something to do with his hernia. Um, he slipped a little bit, and you know we don't know when he's coming back. And I, I don't even want to put a timetable out there for him. Uh, the thing that I will tell you guys, and you guys have covered sports for a long time, some of the toughest things to come back is either um, a hernia, a hernia, or um, what is it? Um, a high ankle sprain. High anything ankle with sprain. your toes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Screw you up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that, that's a it's a sensitive part because you could be you could be you could feel good and then it takes one cut and then you know I was trying to say hamstring. You know, sure. hernia and hamstring. I think both of those are the two hardest uh, injuries to make come back from. All right, let's do the last one. Is there a chance you redshirt Isaiah Miranda? There is. Is he hurt? He's banged up. Okay. Um, there is a chance that Isaiah Miranda could be a redshirt. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of people's out, you know, what happens with our, our fan base is it looked like the perfect storm. Um, you know, you get Dusan go down mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we get Miranda. But they looked at it as we got Miranda because Isaiah went down. You know, we had worked there for a long time. Isaiah was already coming. He was he just had made his decision. He was close to making a decision. And it just happened that way. Um, he's banged up. You know, his head is spinning right now. You know, think about this. Um, we played against a really good player in Lively who's really talented. But he probably had the summer and he had all in the entire uh, preseason to get ready. Imagine a kid coming in right in um, December and jump joining on a team as a freshman and trying to be ready to play. Uh, yeah. That's the tough part about it. And, you know, I just don't, I don't know if it's realistic for us to think that he's going to come in and be an impact guy. Could he help possibly? Um, but we haven't made the decision, but it is a possibility that he could redshirt. Have we really gone this entire conversation without bringing up DJ Burns? Is that the possible? Boy. Is that is that possible? Is that possible? Fans certainly uh, love talking about DJ Burns. That's for sure. Uh, you, look, you, Kevin Keats joining us, NC State's head basketball coach. You, you had talked about guys stepping up in the absence of Mahorsich. Understandably, uh, you brought up the names that you brought up. But there is there is a little bit of a spark that DJ Burns – I go back to that Duke game uh, when it was a slog early on. There was no scoring before Joyner, before uh, Terquavion Smith got going. It was Burns who really gave you guys – I think it was six straight points he rolled off to kind of get things going. So, And the fans certainly pop when he does something great. I mean, he is the most popular guy in Raleigh. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Joe, I know you think you are, uh, but you got no chance yeah. when it compares to this kid. I mean, neither one of you guys do. Neither do neither do I. Um, <laughs> you know, he is – he's unique. He's different. He's got great touch. Um, I think he could be on Dancing with the Stars one day. Uh, he's got great feet. He's a tremendous passer, uh, really good kid. And when we need a basket or – you know, this is what was lacking in this team last year. Mm-hmm. You know, we couldn't throw the ball inside to stop a run. You know, it would I would have to figure out how to get Eva to Quavion Smith a basket from a three or Darion Sebron a drive to the basket of Jericho, some type of mid-range shot. 
we couldn't stop runs. We couldn't, you know, throw the ball into anyone. And that's nothing to do with the guys we had. Well, he's a guy who can score with his back to the basket. He's unique. Um, you know, typically, you know, you see guys who would just bury you in the post and just turn around and shoot. He actually loves operating outside of the the paint and then making plays off of it. And man, he even at Virginia Tech, I didn't think he played well with his numbers. I mean, he took 10 shots and scored 11 or, you know, 12 points. But that stretch that he had was very important because we needed it at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. We've gone this far. We haven't even mentioned the MVP of the damn team in, in Jarkel Joyner. <laughs> and Kevin Keats joining us here on the OG. Listen, you know, I, I get it. There's a lot of people out there, Kevin, who, who are kind of wringing their hands and wishing there was a time machine for college sports. Can we go back? Can we go back to the old days? But NIL is here, and it's, it's a part of the game now. And I look at Jarkel, I look at Jaquavion, I look at DJ Horsich. And these are all guys that, you know, quite frankly, you had to spend, not you, but the collective, had to spend money on to get them to come here and play this season. And you look at the difference that someone like a fifth-year player like Jarkel can make, and how do you argue against it at this point? I, I, I Maybe we're only talking about the bad parts and, and not potentially the good parts of NIL. You know, what we've done, um, Joe, in the last few years, when you look at Markel Johnson, um, you look at Darion Sebron, you certainly look at Tequavion Smith um, and the guys that we've had here. It's very attractive and to uh, any guard that wants freedom to be able to come here and play. And it was a perfect storm for us. Um, you know, Sebron decided to go to the league. We had moved him over to the point guard position. And um, obviously, uh, once he got in the portal, we'd hired Levi. We were able to talk to him. And I think the opportunity of being having a little bit more freedom than possibly where he was at and being able to play free and know that he could play alongside with Tequavion, which he's been really good for him. Like, um, Jarkel Jonah has really accepted uh, the fact that he has a young kid that will take a lot of shots, but he's embraced him as more of a, as a friend and a little brother. And where his impact has come from is, you know, in the locker room, um, off the floor, and then certainly on the floor, he's become a very good leader. And times have changed. Um, you know, you have to now, because of the portal, because you can go out and get guys right away and they can play right away. As a coach, you're a little bit more picky. You get to pick some guys that – or go after some guys that absolutely fit the way you play. And I don't know that I could have got a better point guard in the portal that fits the way we play. Um, and, and here's where he's unique at. We talk a little bit about his offense, but – He's probably our best defender, and I've said that between him and Casey Morsell, but he's so really good on the basketball that, you know, he kind of starts our defense. He's a closer, too. He can finish games like we saw in Blacksburg. Yeah, he's, he's you know, I thought both of those guys at the end, they were both 8 for 10. They both stayed, some stepped up and made huge free throws to keep it at a two-possession game. Kevin Keats, NC State head basketball coach. We appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the rest of your off day. We'll talk to you later. Well, you know, when you say off day, it's an off day for the players, but not the coaches. So, do you ever? Well, when do you ever really have an off day? For being you honest, don't. you don't. And and listen, we don't. I said it last year. I don't deserve one. So I'm working, and um, I'm just uh, I'm gonna keep on pouring all my attention and hard work into the players, and you know, making sure those guys are having a great experience and having fun. Yeah, I was thinking about it. There, there's going to be an outdoor hockey game at Carter-Finley Stadium on February 18th. Everybody's going to be having a great old time, and you got a, you got a Carolina game to worry about the next day. 
you, you see, won't even be able to enjoy that, right? You know that more than I do. I don't know anything other than Miami, and I promise you I don't. I don't know who else we play after that yet. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I totally yeah. get that. Coach, yeah. I appreciate the time. Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. It might not be the ultimate game, but it certainly is an intriguing game tonight at Cameron Indoor Stadium as Jeff Capel brings his very, very feisty pit team to take on Duke, which hasn't really been able to get traction right now. They, they, they've had some ups and downs. Uh, the guy calling the game tonight is West Durham. ACC Network, ESPN, he joins us on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. Wes, what's going on, man? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Are you in the crow's nest already? No, no, no. I've, uh, I've just worked my way here to the world-famous Bassett lot. Uh, right behind the Blue Devil Tower for the short walk over to Cameron. Thank you. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, Duke, I would say let's meet after the game for a uh, post-game show, but that, we failed in three tries last Wednesday night. I'm not there going to do that. Well, I think I, I know places that are open in Durham for real, for real, because they got a little bit of a different scene than our area around PNC Arena where we failed right. three times. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll uh, We'll see where the okay. night takes us. Um, All right. So before we go to last night's game between Tar Heels and the Cavaliers, let's look ahead to tonight's matchup between Duke and Pitt. Uh, Pitt is clearly a surprise uh, as they've started out in league play here. And Duke has not been able to just kind of get things going for a variety of reasons. It seems that when they want to be whole, they're not. You know, Jeremy Roach has got a toe issue. He's not going to be available tonight. Um, you know, even going into the NC State game where they lost, they hadn't really seen Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead for a consistent amount of time. So what do you what do you make of this Duke team that is kind of on watch tonight against Pitt? It's interesting that you bring up the, you know, the kind of the still looking for the momentum and the rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Um I, I think the Roach injury is um is a tough deal. Because I think Jeremy Roach is the most veteran piece on the floor, right? I mean, now Ryan Young is a veteran guy. He's played a hundred and some odd games in his college career. Jacob Grandison played a hundred and thirty some odd games in his career, but they're new to the program. Roach was the guy who could calm the waters, deliver the message, and Jeremy, quite frankly, had struggled in a couple of ACC games, especially on the road, and so. I think you don't know quite yet what the rhythm and the temperament of this basketball team is. However, I will say this, some of it I thought got answered on Saturday when, you know, Boston College, who plays gritty, right? Uh, Earl Grant's quote, gritty, not pretty. Um, That's what they are. They kind of challenged Duke a little bit. I thought the Blue Devils answered it and survived a a nine-and-a-half-minute scoring drop from the floor. So, Tonight, they're going to have to survive that and then some against Pittsburgh because, and I mentioned the 130-odd games of Grandison's career, Pittsburgh starts three guys tonight that have played more than 125 college games. They've got four on the roster. Nike Samandis played more than 125. He comes off the bench. Tonight, Duke runs into a team whose calling card is toughness, whose calling card is landscape of college basketball. Jeff Capel intentionally when he's forced to get into the portal, he intentionally evaluated guys a little better and a little deeper than maybe he had before. Those are his words, not mine. And he's come away with guys like Greg Elliott and Blake Henson and Nellie Cummings who come in with Jamarius Burden, and they're, they're making something out of it. And I think there's something to be said about Pitt, and I also think there's something to be said, too, in short, Joe, about Duke's, gro- Duke's growth plate, which we don't quite know yet because yeah. – the Blue Devils, for the most part, are still pretty inexperienced. 
West Durham, ACC Network, ESPN, joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. That's Joe Obvious. I'm Joe Giglio. All right, Wes. I mean, you mentioned some of these guys in the transfer portal for Pitt, but is, is there more to it, more to it than that, in your opinion? Because you look at the way that they start the season, they're one and three, and, and none of those first three losses, Wes, were bad. West Virginia, Michigan, VCU. But since right. then, it, it seems like they've been a different team. It, I, mean, I don't know if there was a switch that flipped there for, for Jeff, but he's done a really good job. No question. And he's doing it without one of the guys who we all probably thought would be a major piece, and that's John Hughley, right? Um, so let's take into account that, you know, every college basketball coach, and I think we as longtime fans, and, you know, we've been spoiled rotten in this market, right, for years and years and years mm-hmm. with the level of college basketball play. I think we all have to understand that every college basketball coach, whether it's first-year John Shire, whether it's 46th-year Jim Beheim, has to learn their basketball team again every year because of the nature of what we're dealing with here, the the portal and, you know, transfers and one-and-dones and whatever the case may be. And in all honesty, I, I think that Jeff Capel knew what he had, but they really didn't have any kind of continuity or consequence to him, Joe, and they had to go through some things. Um you know, we were talking to him earlier today. Dan and I were for the game tonight. Um, you know, last time they took a loss like this was one they had at Vanderbilt, like the one they took Saturday against Clemson. Uh, they lost at Vanderbilt, and they came out the next game against Sacred Heart. He said, quite frankly, for the first 30 minutes, we weren't very good. He said, what's our maturity level going to be like tonight, knowing we took a tough loss on Saturday to a good team, a team that's better than people think, and now we're coming out and we're going to play a team that desperately wants to win in front of their home crowd, and the students are back on campus, and Duke will try and drive the energy in the building from the tip. And I thought Jeff made a lot of really good points, but I think he's hit all the right buttons. And here's the other thing, too, Joe, and he said this to the Pitt media um, yesterday, I think it was, or, or day before perhaps, and watching his press conference comments. It takes a while to build things now, and it takes a while to a place that basically cashed out in basketball. He said, you know, we got here. The nicest thing I could tell you was they had a terrific-looking visitor's locker room. They didn't have a film room. They didn't have team rooms. They didn't have facilities. They didn't have anything else. He said, and he said, you could probably ask 100 people in the city what league Pitt was in, and 85 of them would have said the Big East still. He said, you know, it's taken some time, and I think that timing has paid off a little bit, and he's gotten a better feel for what he needs and, and where he's doing it with, and there's something to be said about kind of the team he's put together. I like yep. the way they play. I think they're fun to watch. I, I don't know about you guys. I thought the Pitt-Clemson game Saturday was a high-level damn basketball game, to be honest with you. Yeah, this is, and this is throwing people off as to what is the ACC and what is not because it's not your traditional teams that are sitting atop the league right now. West Durham joining us, ACC Network, ESPN. He's actually at Cameron Indoor Stadium for tonight's Duke-Pitt uh, game. Let's go back to last night with what you would consider traditional ACC squads. Right. Uh, in a in a in a matchup that I get that they don't have Pete Nance and that's given Seth Trimble some opportunities, which I think he's taken advantage of. And I get that Armando Baycott was out with an, uh, a, a tweaked ankle. Uh, X rays mm-hmm. negative. It's not the it's not the same ankle that he he messed up at the final four or in that four overtime loss to Alabama. It's the other ankle. But I. Given given what they knew the rest of the, the first half, I thought Carolina handled themselves well. I know that Jalen right. Washington got some decent minutes in this game. He actually did pretty good, too. I just think that sure. North Carolina, once again, shows you that if they're not sharp and they have a tendency to not be sharp, 
You can't do that against a team like Virginia, where Tony Bennett praised his team for, you know what the process is. You know what you have to do. You have to stick to it. As Jillio joked, the, the minute Charlottesville starts cheering for a shot clock violation, you yep. know it's a wrap. And that's what got the Tar Heels last night, those turnovers, man. Well, turnovers, and I think I saw a tweet today, and I can't remember who it was from specifically, and I apologize for that, where Carolina ended up turning it over on, what, almost 30-some percent of their possessions in the game? Yeah, that's from – I believe that was from Chris, uh, who goes by Dagum Box Scores on Twitter. Yeah, that guy, that guy's phenomenal, um, you know, with the stuff he comes up with and, and the way he breaks apart Carolina and, and other games for that matter too. But I, I think the idea of Carolina getting trapped in a low-possession game – and, oh, by the way, they didn't shoot it well from the perimeter. Right. Oh, by the way, right? I mean, because Baycott's down, Nance is down, and they're not hitting threes. Well, guess what happened a lot last year when that happened? Hmm. They lost, and that's what happened last night. And Virginia, let's be honest, too, Charlottesville, a house of horrors for Carolina. It has been. Has been now, what, nine straight times or something like that? So, you know, go get your Lee Raker and uh, Lou Lattimore and Craig Robinson jerseys on. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a throwback to the days of U-Haul and stuff. So, but that's that's just the making of the league right now. And I think this is, you know, we went through this last year. And, look, Virginia Tech's lost, what, four straight by a total of 14 points playing Syracuse tonight. I think we're getting ready to go through this little paradigm again where we're going to get to March and the national people are going to be beating on the league, although they'll get four maybe. And, look, I think the Big 12 is really good. But don't tell me about America's basketball conference anymore. I don't want to hear any more about that league. Hmm. because I saw South Carolina beat the greatest basketball program in the history of one state last night uh, in their own building. So the Big 12, I will tip my cap to and continue to hit my next shot in the fairway. But outside of that, I think most of the leagues are going through this process. Wes Durham joining us here on the OG. Last time we talked to you, Wes, NC State had no Q1 wins. Now we talk to you. The Wolfpack has two <laughs> with the home game over Duke last week, really just yeah. throttling the Blue Devils. And then going on the road, one of those losses that you had mentioned about Virginia Tech, another one of those close games. And they closed it out with Jarkel Joyner and Turquavion Smith making their free throws. Yep. And all of a sudden, the world looks a little bit brighter for NC State yep. basketball. But yeah. they have an old-fashioned test Saturday afternoon. I think it's going to be a fascinating game. You know, they played down in Miami. Uh, State was up at the half. They looked pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the second half, Miami just really cranked up their offense. Yep. Yeah. And they've got – I don't know how you guys feel about it. Um, I mean, you could clear Terquavion Smith and Isaiah Wong, clear the other eight off the floor, and I could watch them go back and forth sure. on 94 feet, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a show into itself. But I, I think, you know what? Here too, Julio. Let's talk about the maturity of Kevin's team, right? Uh, the understanding Mohorsic is not going to play for a while. Uh, you know, they don't have Jack Clark last Wednesday night against Duke, and what they do? They came out and threw a first punch early, right? Like from start to finish and and made it look easy. And and the the maturity piece of that basketball team is they, they took that momentum and went to Blacksburg and won a game, right? And you know, I, I'm I'm buying DJ Burns being a piece of this. Now he reminds me of Dwight Stewart from Arkansas, so forgive me. But to me, you know, DJ Burns is a guy that you know what he's going to cause some problems in this league. I've got State Carolina a week from Saturday in Chapel Hill. I'm interested to see a Baycott's back. What that looks like, mm-hmm. DJ Burns, right? Um, but again, 
give Kevin all the credit in the world. And I heard a little bit of the interview with you guys earlier, and I, I think they've pushed the right buttons. The kids have bought in. He's Again, what Jeff Capel did evaluating guys in the portal, you could say the same thing with Kevin and Jarkel Joyner and all that, right? I think that stuff counts now. And Steve Forbes beat us to the punch last year with LaRavia and Alondis Williams and, and, and that junior college experience he had. And I think a lot of guys have bought into that and – to their credit, have found some successful stories, too. West Durham ACC Network ESPN joining us here on the OG on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias. We'll close on this. Are you surprised by the news Dre Bly and North Carolina are having a conscious uncoupling? Uh, Surprised? No. Um, My guess is Carolina has to make some changes somewhere on the defensive side mm-hmm. um it just there's there's too much of the last couple of years uh, you know combined and i know gene and charlton warren were brand new this year um they obviously made the offensive line change jack mcnell jr came in but there there were gonna have to be some i think some tweaks dre is uh, there nobody loves carolina as much as dre right i mean he's on a long list of distinguished guys that played there and the place means something to him so I'm sure they didn't come about this, you know, by haphazard. I'm sure there was some deep thought into this. And and maybe he's got other coaching aspirations. Um, or maybe it needs to be someplace other than Carolina for it. But um, I'm not surprised. Joe, you know, sug- that Joe suggested that NC State call Dre Bly right now. I would. I, I can tell you this. I You know, he's he is a passionate football coach. And, and seeing a workout and also watching him during games – He's an impassioned football coach. But if there's a, a breakdown in the communication of ultimately what they want to do defensively, then obviously there are changes that come. You guys, we've all seen that happen, right? Um, but, I, yeah, he, he's a coach. I mean, he's, he's very good at it. Um, and I'll be interested to see what Mac and, and Coach Chiswick decide to do on that aspect too because that's a, that's a piece. And there are other former guys there too, Tommy Thigpen. We all know there and things like that. So, but Carolina, I expected defensive changes, Joe, to answer your question. Wester, ACC Network, ESPN. He's got the call tonight for Duke and Pitt. All right, man, we appreciate the time. I'll see you. I'll wave at you from uh, yeah, my cramped yeah. quarters on press row. Yeah, I'll be in the better seat tonight, and I'll be the one upstairs. You no will. Question. You will. All right, yeah. man, we'll talk to you later. Take care, guys. So speaking of the NFL. I waited all year to get a decent Niners number. I never mm-hmm. could. Yeah, I think it's Niners Bengals. That's what I think it's going to be. Did you? Oh, did you think because of the injuries and when the quarterback situation, it might drop? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But their defense is too good. There's too much respect for Kyle Shanahan. Well, then they traded for McCaffrey. Once they traded for McCaffrey, it was a wrap. Then of course Garoppolo got hurt, and I'm like, ah, no, (laughs) no, Joe, you're not outsmarting. It's so hard to bet on the NFL. You mentioned. I feel like you You asked me that that. question because of Bernie Kosar. You're like, if 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 somebody made you give up betting on the NFL, could you? I was like. Yes. Yeah, I asked it's you that. It's extremely hard. I asked you that earlier in the week, and gambling is part of the discussion today. As Dennis mentioned, um, we have yet another attempt to legalize sports wagering here in the state of North Carolina. They literally fumbled the bag last year. There's no reason why we are still waiting on sports wagering. It's going to happen. And the excuses that they used to, to take it out were mind-numbingly dumb. You know, bringing up the Dixie Classic point shaving scandal? Like, come on, y'all. The Black Sox from 1919. 
Once again, misunderstanding that, you know, if you had legalized sports wagering, those scandals never would have happened. But that's neither here nor there. So hopefully we actually get on the ball and we get sports wagering because we're leaving money on the table, literally leaving money on the table. Revenue for the state. I mean, I thought I thought that's what people wanted. But oh, well. Silly me. You mentioned the Bernie Kozar thing. We didn't really talk about it earlier this week. Uh, Bernie Kozar, Miami Hurricanes legend, Cleveland Browns legend. He's part of the Cleveland Browns pregame radio. And apparently he bet on the Browns. I think he bet on the Browns. I don't or, remember. Or, or an, or they, an NFL they found game. out he bet on an NFL game or he bet an NFL he had a futures ticket, I think. And they took him they took him off the broadcast. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't because the typically what happens is people go, Oh well, that's 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 really that's 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 really ridiculous that the NFL is making all this money off gambling and then these guys get punished for this. Well Whoa, he bet nineteen G's on the game. Oh really? Yeah, man. Wait, did he He bet on the Browns? He's not only a He's got money to burn, and he bet on the Browns, and he's dumb. Yeah, well. How would you bet on the Browns in a game Bernie, that they don't care about? And you knew, even you knew, that the Mike Tomlin thing was real. I know. I know. Even I was a converted person. Like, I, even I'm like, you know what? I got that wrong. Right? Regardless. There's no way Bernie's got 19G uh, running through his pockets. He played in the 80s, but he didn't play when the money was funny. And maybe maybe Luther Campbell He's still, also had some some other issues in his it, life. Yes, he's had issues. But who knows? Maybe Luther Campbell's still feeding him some cash, like the U. You know? Once with the U, always with the U, right? Regardless. I have zero problems. None. Zero. Anybody associated with the NFL, gambling on the NFL, getting a harsh punishment for what happened. Who was it? Calvin Ridley of the Falcons? Yeah, who did not play this season because he decided to place a bet on the NFL. He bet on the Falcons, right? While he was in Miami, where it's legal. He did it with the geofencing yes. thing. Yeah, he was uh, Hard Rock. Yeah, and obvious, And then, as we like to discuss, Hard Rock and the NFL did their job, and they flagged it, Yeah, and he got suspended. And people were like, that's super harsh! Yeah, it should be. It absolutely should be. Because the entire premise of why you gamble is that you're gambling on something that is not rigged, okay? I understand that you can gamble on The Bachelor and you can gamble on the WWE. Oh, that's a separate conversation altogether with WWE these days. These things are determined outcomes. Gambling on the NFL and sports is different. And you have to uphold the idea that what you're gambling on and all the money that's coming through is legit. So if you get punished for doing something that's a real simple rule, don't bet on the NFL. That ain't my problem. Consequences, folks. I, I'm I'm not suggesting to you that I'm I'm doing well right now. I'm not suggesting sure. to you that I've never made a dumb bet before. Of course you have. I've been here Ber- for them. Bernie Kosar put 19 boxes of ZD on the Browns to beat the Steelers <laughs> in a game that had no meaning to the Browns saying that's and speak- all of the meaning to the Steelers. Are you saying that's Do you know how problem? dumb that is? Yeah, that could be a, that could be a larger problem. I also need to be I need to be Bernie Kosar's guy because I will take his action <laughs> if he's got if he's got that much. <laughs> anyway, coaching uh coaching carousel updates in the NFL. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, reporting that the Cardinals have received permission to speak with Sean Payton. Of course, you understand that uh, when it comes to the interview process, 
that the New Orleans Saints are in the mix with this sort of thing. Um, now, this is interesting because according to Pro Football Talk with the permission stuff, uh, his ability to have a formal interview with any team until January 17th comes into play when coaches are employed by other teams and they're permitted to have interviews with potential employers. The Broncos are also expected to interview Peyton once he's eligible for an official meeting. No other teams are known to have contacted the Saints about speaking with Peyton at this point. That includes the Carolina Panthers, who apparently have talked to Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, who a lot of people have pointed to as the next guy in Dallas if it's not Sean Payton, depending on what happens with Mike McCarthy. Jerry apparently loves Kellen Moore. And they also chatted with Frank Reich, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, former quarterback. Are you noticing a pattern, Joe? Well, they're all offensive guys. Quarterbacks, too. Yep. You know? So, I mean, I, I, all these guys, to me, sound like they'd be really good offensive coordinators. I don't know if I'd make them head coaches. But a lot of them sound like good offensive coordinators under Steve Wilkes. Maybe that's part of the pitch for Steve Wilkes. Maybe that's what some of these conversations are. Like, especially the Frank Reich one. I don't know if I'd trust Frank Reich after what I saw in Indianapolis, given his propensity to go for older quarterbacks. That ain't that ain't the move for Carolina right now. Well, I'm not sure how much. Well, Carson Wentz going to Indy was on Frank Reich, so there's no way around that. No, there's not. But also the work he did with Philly and when Wentz was actually healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. If Reich came and was the offensive coordinator, they would be good. 